What's up, guys? This is CJ from the teaching team at The Fold, and you are listening to At Coffee with The Fold. I'm so glad that you're tuning in with us this week as we take a deep dive into conversations that are relevant for our community. This podcast features guests from inside our community, from outside our community, who have something important to say and share that's relevant for our formation into the likeness of Jesus as we pursue the healing and wholeness of Jesus by finding home, family, and purpose. Well, welcome back to At Coffee with the Fold. I know it's been a while, but we are excited because we've got some exciting things coming up around the topic of prayer as a community. We are very soon, probably it'll already be happened by the time you're listening to this podcast, but opening a prayer chapel in the fold. Um, And with that, I'm here with my co-host Chelsea. Hi. And with Mr. Alan Stegall, excuse me, Reverend Alan Stegall, um, who is uh, a passion and a leader in the prayer prayer movement, prayer realm. Um, Alan is one of the people I go to when I need someone to pray for me. Um, Alan is one of the first people to volunteer to pray. Alan is one of the people who's always pushing and emphasizing prayer in our community. Um, so we wanted to take some time to specifically um, give voice to Alan and learn from him and from his wisdom and his experience. He's seen God move through the years in some incredible ways, all linked to intercessory prayer, um, and as we are really making an effort to emphasize prayer in a more unique way as a church, we want to take time to specifically discuss prayer um, through this platform in our community. So that's what we're going to do. So Alan, we're so glad that you're taking some time out of your day to join us. We really appreciate it. Um, Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. We're excited about it. Chelsea, how are you doing today? I am... Well, I'm excited about the temperature outside. <laughs> nice. It is feeling like fall officially, yes. which is wonderful. All right. Um, well, without further ado, let's let's jump into the conversation. Does that sound good? Let's do it. Awesome. Ready, Alan? Yes, sir. All right. Let's do it. So the first question that I've got in the conversation, Alan, is um, as, as Christians, we obviously know prayer is foundational to our faith. It's a core practice. But you, one of the things I've noticed about you, Um, over the years that I've known you, is that you have a unique passion for intercessory prayer, for lifting up the needs of other people and standing in the gap um, for churches, for individuals, for our community. I've seen that pattern in you, and I would love to know how that passion or that unique uh, leaning in your life for intercessory prayer developed. Could you tell us a little bit of maybe your history with prayer? Yeah, sure. Um, I grew up in Greenville, a large Baptist church over in Berea, mm-hmm. and I'm pretty sure that a lady over there, just a character, was a, a prayer warrior, mm-hmm. and uh, I think she had a big influence on a lot of people mm-hmm. secretly. Yeah. And um, so I think of Minnie Brockman, and um, then, um, you know, as I went to college, my first experience was a youth director. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a great experience. <laughs> in fact, when I quit and was moving on, the chairman of the deacons said, I would uh, recommend you take uh, Dale Carnegie and read his book, How to Win People and Influence, <laughs> How to Win and Influence People. Yeah. 
you know, mm-hmm. so that might give you an idea of how I wasn't, <laughs> I didn't make a big impression, but the, there was a couple of retired missionaries in there, and I think Martha Franks was one of them, though I don't remember speaking to her. That name will be familiar with a lot of people because mm-hmm. she was a missionary in China with Bertha Smith of um, Cowpens, mm-hmm. the Southern Baptist missionaries back in the 20s and 30s. They uh-huh. lived together, mm-hmm. and both of them talk about the great Shantung revival mm-hmm. that happened, and um, mm-hmm. that was born out of prayer, and it's still affecting the world mm-hmm. 100 years later. Wow. So people like that, but in in Clinton, where I went to college, there were several intercessors. You know, these names may not mean anything to anybody, but there was a lady named um, uh, Annie Fuller, who just passed away in her 90s mm-hmm. last week, mm-hmm. and Nell Haggard, and um, Alma and Bruce Galloway, and these these folks were just prayer warriors. I mean, they just... Most of them lived into their 90s, and mm-hmm. Alma was 100. We call her Mama G, her <laughs> husband Papa G. But she was prayed, and she lived to 100. She um, just had a great influence and was known. Another one was Eva Land in a Baptist church, Calvary Baptist in Clinton. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll tell you another connection to her in a minute. Okay. Mm-hmm. Her daughter, well, I'll tell you now. Her <laughs> daughter was in Chimney Rock Baptist Church. Mm-hmm. And her husband was a deacon there. Yeah, wow. So there was a connection from Clinton to mm-hmm. Chimney Rock when I went up there. Mm-hmm. Anyway, this heritage and influence, I just had the feeling that people prayed for me. <laughs> you know, just people were praying for me. Wow. So that's part of it. Part of it was I got a vision for it. I went to a prayer retreat at Bertha Smith's home place mm-hmm. in Cowpens put on by Robert Coleman. Mm-hmm. Somebody mm-hmm. may know that name. Yeah, I know that name. Very yep. famous. Mm-hmm. And uh, then uh, for pastors, this retreat. Mm-hmm. And um, then um, uh, just reading books and hearing about the effect of prayer and revivals was just amazing. I got to hear mm-hmm. a man named J. Edwin Orr, who uh, some of you might be familiar with. He was an expert on revival. He said, he said, um, Corporate prayer has been in every move of God. Mm-hmm. Corporate prayer. Mm-hmm. He was. Uh, he spoke at Ridgecrest, the old Baptist yep. uh, place up in um, Black Mountain, mm-hmm. Montreat area, mm-hmm. and he died the next day. So it was his last wow. message. Hmm. It was wow. amazing. Wow. You know, uh, Master Plan of Evangelism by Robert Coleman is yes. probably the most influential book that I've ever read in ministry. Wow. Um, probably the most important book. It's so simple. Um, you could summarize the whole book by saying uh, the world was changed because Jesus spent a lot of time with 12 people. Um, d- discipleship is relationships. Um, and that that book um, has been the most like formative thing for me in ministry besides Jesus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but that mm-hmm. concept, relationships are the foundation. And it's interesting, um, listening to you, obviously you talked about um, uh, retreats and books and things like that, but the thing that I heard over and over and over again as you were talking was that there were people that you knew who prayed for you, and you had a heritage, I love that you used that word, a heritage of prayer. Um, we live in a moment right now 
culturally where there's a whole lot of um, critiquing going on, and much of it is very important and very necessary critiquing. There's critiquing across generations. There's critiquing across cultures. And like I said, a lot of it is important, but we also live in a culture of throwing the baby out with the bathwater and not looking for the heritage that we have been. We live in a culture where we're often trying to make our own um, identity rather than look to the people who have passed down and look to what the good that's been passed down to us. And I think that's something that the millennial generation and Gen Z especially need to develop is the ability to, um, to look with gratitude at what has been handed down to us and to um, cherish things like a legacy of prayer. I think of, um, yeah, as you're saying that, I'm thinking of people that I know when from when I was a kid that I know were praying for me and would probably look at me now, you know, in ministry for almost 12 years. And they would say, I've been praying for him since he was, since he was a kid. And that's a heritage of prayer that I need to look at with more intentionality. Um, yeah. And that's, that's beautiful. Discipleship and prayer that the things that we see are the things that we replicate, the things, the culture that we're in, is the thing that we replicate, and it sounds like you were in a culture of prayer, and that really developed. So, does that sound accurate? Yeah, I think so. Uh, part of, part of other influences would be just the reading, getting the vision for prayer, um, and frankly, failure, mm-hmm. failure in ministry, mm-hmm. failure in life, that that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. There's a statement that was uh, is kind of famous: "Man's extremity is God's opportunity." For And so, like with the Shantung Revival, when Martha Franks and Bertha Smith prayed for so long, they were in a danger zone. It's sort of like COVID when everything shut down. The missionaries couldn't do anything but pray. They started praying mm-hmm. once a month, then they increased it to once a week, wow. and then they pre- increased to, you know, like every other day or every mm-hmm. morning, whoever could, while they, they couldn't do any other kind of ministry. Yeah. And the revival came out of that, and it was amazing what happened. I love that, wow. thinking about the idea of the, the power of influence. And as you're, as you're both sharing, I was thinking about my Sunday school teachers and my um, legacy of uh, women specifically who I know prayed for me as a young child um, who had who was growing up simply in children's church on Sunday morning or um, some some environments where I just knew these people care mm-hmm. about my salvation and about mm-hmm. my soul. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you've had such a history, Alan, and experience and richness of experience. You saying I'm old? <laughs> <laughs> well, however you want to take that. That is not my intention, but certainly not. Um, I think just kidding. <laughs> Whew. Um, I was thinking about just as you were sharing, CJ, the way that we that we learn from others, mm-hmm. and the way that we um, experience mm-hmm. those um, even concepts like prayer, which can be a really challenging thing to grasp, mm-hmm. and to know others have prayed for me. I have these experiences with God and I can 
practice this too. This is, this is attainable. And Alan, you've shared some with us in the past about your time in Chimney Rock and the work that, the God, that you saw God do there. Can you share with us a little bit about what you saw God do in that community? Okay, sure will. Um, it was quite a challenge. I, I gave. I was at a Presbyterian church, another denomination. I was single. I was in my mid-30s. They had my resume, the steering committee or pulpit committee, had my resume for a year. <laughs> and they were struggling as a church, which I didn't know. Mm-hmm. I secretly went up to Chimney Rock and ate one time and saw where the church was, you know, and... Uh, the the lady at the restaurant said, yeah, that church doesn't do anything. It's no mm. good, you know, all this stuff. <laughs> mm, just wow. put it down. So I had a bad reputation mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. outsiders. Mm-hmm. And um, there was a split. The pastor, mm-hmm. not the most recent pastor, but the previous pastor and then this interim, that previous pastor had been asked, he had been kicked out basically. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of things like that going yeah. on. There was friction and conflict between natives and Northerners, did I say <laughs> outsiders? <laughs> yeah. And um, the music leader was one of the worst. Mm-hmm. He did boat tours on Lake Lure, and he was always criticizing the town mm-hmm. government mm-hmm. leaders, the mayors, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So had that kind of background going mm-hmm. on. When I went my first Sunday to preach, when they finally asked me to preach in mm-hmm. view of a call, I was 35 and I was the second youngest person there. <laughs> the music leader's son, who was a teenager, was there. Wow. And there were about 35 people. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, you can imagine a lot of white hair there. <laughs> but I had sensed a call there, and I went there. Mm-hmm. Even with all that, didn't know. And um, uh, what what was your question? What Tell me more about your question. Is that... Yeah, what did you see God do as you joined this community? How did you see God move during your time there? You know what? Sometimes you f- you feel like you hear from God, mm-hmm. and other times you're not sure if it was God or not. Mm-hmm. I would say there were two times I think I heard from God up there mm-hmm. at Chimney Rock in the five years I was there. The first one, as I went there, the first, it's like the Lord said, don't change a thing the first year. Mm-hmm. Don't change a thing the first year. Wow. And um, this kind of runs into the next mm-hmm. question, mm-hmm. what was the role of prayer? Mm-hmm. I, I basically was single, and uh, I, was all, I was single, definitely single. Um, every morning I would get up and I would just have time with the Lord, mm-hmm. praising him, looking over the cemetery, mm-hmm. watching a fox go by. You know, mm-hmm. just wow. Early in the morning mm-hmm. I would spend at least an hour just – Praising the Lord, focusing on Him, and um, and from that grew prayer. Mm-hmm. And um, I would say that through those five years, uh, people, intercessors began to just spring up. Mm-hmm. The lady Eva Land, whose daughter was there, mm-hmm. had told you know had set this up and told told her daughter Doris about me, and so she was just a prayer warrior, mm-hmm. and her and her, her husband was a deacon, mm-hmm. got the deacons to go visiting, which was mm-hmm. unreal for them. <laughs> this is a place that had little less than 2,000 people, mm-hmm. the Hickory Nut Gorge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it was very sparsely pop- populated, but mm-hmm. Lake Lure's a great resort mm-hmm. town. And so 
Um, there were about 2,000 people there, mm-hmm. but there are about eight or nine churches, and um, we developed prayer. I know a lot of several of the people were praying in their homes, but eventually we had a Sunday morning prayer time, mm-hmm. and um, a retired car dealer from mm-hmm. Gaffney, mm-hmm. Russ was he's almost like a personal intercessor, if you know what that term mm-hmm. means. Yeah. He would pray for me, mm-hmm. me, excuse me, and uh, Doris, and then a the retired minister's wife mm-hmm. that was there. And uh, there were several others that just gathered for prayer. Mm-hmm. And then through that, for example, I had a revival services. The deacon came to him and said, we need to have a revival. Mm-hmm. Well, I got a friend of mine to come up. You know, we had it at night. It was very few people came, mm-hmm. older congregation to get out at night. And uh, Sunday through Wednesday mm-hmm. and very little results. And that was about the second year I was there in the mm-hmm. fall. And the fourth or fifth year is what I would call the just really um, exciting time when we saw a lot of fruit mm-hmm. was what I called a crusade. Mm-hmm. Felt led to, yeah. to do this and called, uh, got Glenn Shepherd, who mm-hmm. was the successor to Henry Blackaby. Mm-hmm. Anybody ever heard of him and mm-hmm. experiencing God? Mm-hmm. Henry Black. So Glenn was the um, uh, at the North American Mission Board, and he was in charge of the Office of Prayer and Spiritual Awakening. Mm-hmm. And so he agreed to come. And um, so um, I just said, "What do we do? How do we get you know turn out? What do we, What do you want to do, Lord?" And I realized because of some of the things I've told you about and set up. Mm-hmm. God wanted to do a change of atmosphere, spiritual atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And that's really the biggest effect that happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I started having, a, as a bachelor, Lori and I got married in 93, so about midway through. But as a bachelor, I had a Christmas drop-in mm-hmm. at the Parsonage, which yeah. these folks were just crazy about. <laughs> and uh, I told them, bring an ornament. <laughs> and so we just... My the mayor came and her husband, hmm. and that was one of the ones that the music leader criticized the most. Wow. Yeah. And so we had started reaching out to people. Mm-hmm. But at this crusade, I had I decided to do a corporate Bible study mm-hmm. called Fresh Encounter by Henry Blackaby and the mm-hmm. fellow that co-authors with him. Mm-hmm. And so two pastors joined me and doing that weekly for about six or eight weeks. And I invited all the churches in the Hickory Nut Gorge, there were about 10, mm-hmm. nine of them ended up taking part. Wow. And um, I got the idea that we would kind of honor those to whom honor is due. Mm-hmm. We had, so we had a volunteer night. Mm-hmm. You know, all the volunteer fire departments, mm-hmm. there were two or three in the area. Mm-hmm. The Lions Club, these retired men would be in, and then the ladies' uh, auxiliary. Mm -hmm. And we had a night for that. We had a civic night, and I invited both the Chimney Rock Village uh, Council and the Lake Lure Council and mayors. Mm -hmm. And so we just said, we appreciate the job y'all do. We want to honor you. And we had a youth night. You know, the youth were neglected. There were 
There mm-hmm. were just one teenager when I first went there. Mm-hmm. We started a vacation Bible school again. This is a very traditional church, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But we, we started ministering to kids and so and youth, and, and those things developed. Young adult ministry developed. But all of that came from concentrated prayer mm-hmm. by people, I think. Mm-hmm. And so um, we, we – how many did I say the Hickory Nut – Gorge like lived 2, in it. Yeah. Guess how many we had in two services daily for four days. We had a midday service mm-hmm. and an evening service, and we averaged 50 in the morning mm-hmm. and 200 at night, wow. which was about the capacity. Mm-hmm. So you basically had one-tenth of the population yeah, wow. or a little over wow. coming to this these meetings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, it it really just changed me. Yeah. people. It's a so, lot of ways. It sounds like it created it. It was the movement that you described that you talked about, CJ. Mm-hmm. These moves of God, mm-hmm. these movements of God, where your time in prayer and this commitment, even daily, in the same time every day for so long, committed to acknowledging who God is, praising Him, mm-hmm. and just sitting before Him, and it created community mm-hmm. and connection. That it was the overflow of prayer was the coming together of people in unity around Mm -hmm. what God was doing. Yeah. You know, John 15 talks about fruit that abides or remains. Mm -hmm. And we had a monthly, uh, some ladies started a monthly prayer luncheon during this time, and it went for 20 years. Wow. (laughs) They would meet monthly and pray for the churches and for people in the area. That was one of the things. The lakeside service, which the church had, I ended up being the uh, guy in charge of it instead Mm -hmm. of each pastor. Nobody really wanted to do it. It's (laughs) usually had about 200. By the time I left, about 1,000 people were coming on Easter Mm -hmm. sunrise service. That's what I meant to say. The lakeside service, which usually the previous pastor we would have for people to come up in their cars on uh, around the beach from us usually had about 20 30 people we had 75 to 100 and one one uh, i think it was a 4th of july weekend we had 200 people wow i mean it was just amazing mm-hmm. hearing the gospel you know and mm-hmm. participating wow and we had i i consider this part of the fruit of prayer uh, chelsea and CJ, the little church, you know, that generation had money, but mm-hmm. people on fixed incomes. We paved the parking lot, painted the sanctuary, remodeled the building, mm-hmm. and from a budget of about thirty-two or 5000 when I first went there, this mm-hmm. is 1991, mm-hmm. uh, by 95, we had tripled that budget. Wow. And we'd increased the percentage of giving to missions from like 10% to 25% all during this time. So people just, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just amazing some of the things that happen. Yeah. It seems like um, that all of it comes back to starting with intercessory prayer. You know, right now, if you read a lot of Christian books or church leadership books, um, they're often about vision and about mission and about uh, 
motivating people and building culture and all that's important, all that's crucial. Um, and I'm hearing vision and culture and the, f- the fruit of that, which is, is unity. I mean, we would say that the kingdom of God is reflected in unity and diversity, right? That when people from different backgrounds, different cultures come together, and it sounds like that happened in what you described as a pretty divided community in Lake Lure, um, came together in a lot of unity, but it started with seeking the Lord and started with prayer first rather than just trying to move towards unity. It started with prayer rather than just trying to find vision. It started with prayer. I think that is really, really important insight is that um, whatever we're longing for, I think as individuals or as as churches, as Christians, as the fold, it has to be rooted in being a people seeking the Lord and interceding for one another and for our city. Um, I, I want to add one other thing because mm-hmm. this, this was very meaningful as I prepared to talk to you guys mm-hmm. um, because all of it ties together the various ministers. We had some Adult conversions and, and mm-hmm. baptisms. Uh, we had children and all these ministries, young adult, mm-hmm. the whole leadership turned over, you know, a yeah. new generation and all. Of course, I was younger. I was young. But we had, in this village, we had, I was in the, I was in the office one day mm-hmm. studying or whatever. I heard some tires spinning mm-hmm. across the street up on the hill. Mm-hmm. It was a U-Haul truck. Mm-hmm. And this couple from New Jersey was moving mm-hmm. to the village, mm-hmm. and they had two kids. They told me they were married, but they were actually living together. They knew enough not to tell the pastor something <laughs> embarrassing, you know. <laughs> and um, and so they were on an incline that they couldn't get the truck loaded down mm-hmm. up to their new rental place. Mm-hmm. I called a church member's husband, Gene, mm-hmm. who was a sergeant from World War II, who didn't come to church, mm-hmm. he didn't feel worthy mm-hmm. to come bring his truck and help unload it, see if we could get the back end off the mm-hmm. um, hill. And so he helped, mm-hmm. and we got those guys into their house and mm-hmm. unloaded them and everything. They, I invited them to church. They both got saved. The kids got saved. They got baptized. The last I heard about 10 years ago, they were still serving in another church, but mm-hmm. they had, wow. had become wow. ser- you know, servant workers and leaders. Yeah. And this Gene Fortner, the sergeant, mm-hmm. who didn't feel worthy, just whatever was mm-hmm. his hang-up, he, it wasn't me, but he got saved. He went to Charlotte to live with his adult kids, mm-hmm. and they would come back, and he would come back. He was a changed man. Wow. And the t- reason I say all this is just things that I can remember. One of the things that revival or prayer can bring mm-hmm. are notable mm-hmm. conversions. Yeah. You'll hear that phrase, mm-hmm. notable conversion, people that, you can't explain, you know, they didn't grow up in the church or they're so bad off, you know, you think God's power is not able to change them and they get mm-hmm. gloriously converted. Wow. It's just, that's what I live for, mm-hmm. telling you. So. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, um, you kind of, like you mentioned, you kind of already answered the the next question we had. So we're going to move on to question four. Because um, obviously intercessory prayer was at the foundation of, of everything that happens. Um, so what would you say it means for a church 
to be a praying church? If you're looking just at a community of believers and you were to say, man, what, what are the things that would tell you this church is a praying church? The individuals, the, the people who are part of the church, what does it look like for a church to be a praying and interceding church in your mind? Mm. Well, I think it's to, uh, to make prayer a priority. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a church in Clinton. It's not a Southern Baptist church. It's a mainline denominational mm-hmm. church that I served at. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of my college buddies were there. Mm-hmm. I was discipled in a house that they had for students. Mm-hmm. But that pastor set up a pattern for prayer, and the leadership would have retreats. They would have prayer events, sort of like the practice mm-hmm. things you've done, mm-hmm. we've done. And um, people heard a call mm-hmm. to pray, and they took responsibility for it. Yeah. Individuals did. Mm-hmm. And then they would have corporate. So it's a combination of individuals because mm-hmm. sometimes it's not going to be a bunch of people who yeah. pray regularly, mm-hmm. but there's several that feel that call, hear that call, and mm-hmm. respond. And uh, they would have um, prayer testimonies. They would have reports and um, prayer room mm-hmm. and uh, prayer yeah. chains and all like that. Those are the kinds of things that that um, mm-hmm. uh, made up their impact of prayer and on their ministry. Yeah, so it sounds like just as a community, there were things that would be that were clearly seen, or in a church that prioritizes prayer, in a praying church, there are things you can see, not just in the service, but there there are places where you can see that prayer is a priority. There are events around prayer. There are spaces around prayer. That prayer is not just a a thing Christians do, but it's a central function mm-hmm. of the community. You know, I, I'm sure we've fallen into this trap before, but you go to a lot of churches and prayer is the transition. How do we get from from worship to the sermon, to the sermon, to worship, to announcements where we pray, right? Mm-hmm. Which is nothing wrong with that. Those are good times to pray in a service. Um, but when prayer becomes just something you do in the service rather than a primary reason that we gather... Um, you know, this, this is something I've, I've wrestled with at times, preaching, because I believe in the breaking of the word, right, um, yes. as part of the gathering. Um, but I've wondered at times, how can we make prayer a reason to gather, not mm-hmm. just something we do when we gather? Can, is there a way we can bring prayer in our services up? And, you know, we don't have to solve that problem today, but I think it's something that's worth continuing to consider is... How do we make prayer part of why we gather? Because communal prayer, intercessory prayer, is crucial to the function of the church, um, not just a piece of the gathering. So much more than just a transition. Mm-hmm. And the way that you're describing it, Alan, is that prayer was a defining factor of God's moves in those places that you saw prayer deeply connected to how he was working and, and maybe even more so the awareness of how he was working, mm-hmm. that connection to the Father through prayer, through intercessory mm-hmm. prayer, mm-hmm. became central, and it was a central defining factor yeah. for the church mm-hmm. and the churches that you're, mm-hmm. where you experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think about R.A. Torrey, one of the names, wrote one of these classic authors. Uh, mm-hmm. He wrote, wrote The Power of Prayer and The Prayer of Power. <laughs> and several other books, but he took over. He was D.L. Moody's companion, mm-hmm. and Moody asked him to take the Moody Bible Church mm-hmm. in Chicago. Mm-hmm. 
It's very famous. Mm-hmm. He's, he got a group of men or intercessors, men and women, to meet on Saturday nights. That mm-hmm. was a condition of him coming mm-hmm. and taking that call mm-hmm. to meet for praying for, for the pastor and the service mm-hmm. for Sunday. Wow. And he said they had conversions weekly. Of course, this is the mm-hmm. heyday of the 1800s. And yeah early 1900s. Mm-hmm. Don't know what it would look like today, but yeah, wow. but that that happened regularly. Mm-hmm. And I just read so many accounts I could go on. But yeah. <laughs> hey guys, this is CJ uh, jumping into the middle of this conversation because we are dividing this conversation into two episodes. So next week, you'll hear this conversation start just a few seconds before we left off this week. Make sure that you tune in next time because this conversation was so good, we split it up into two parts. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you so much for listening to At Coffee with the Fold. I hope that this conversation was helpful as you pursue the healing and wholeness of Jesus. If you want to sign up for a Fold group and join community, if you want to attend an event on a Sunday morning, or if you're just looking for the next thing that's coming up that you can join with our community in doing, then make sure you go to thefoldgreenville.org or you follow us on Instagram or Facebook. Have a great day. We'll talk to you next time.